I V M. Why do most of us lie to others? Why do most of us lie to ourselves? Why do we think of human beings as a rational species when we clearly are not ruled by reason? Why do we imagine that we are the masters of our destiny when in reality we behave the way we do because of the way our brains are wired? What makes you who you are? Why are you even listening to this podcast? Welcome to the seen and the unseen, our weekly podcast on economics, politics, and behavioral science. Please welcome your host, Amit Varma. Welcome to the seen and the unseen. Today's episode is about behavioral economics. Richard Taylor, one of the pioneers of this field, won the Nobel Prize for Economics recently, and honestly, he might as well have won the Nobel Prize for understanding human nature. I keep telling friends that while the term sounds geeky, behavioral economics is, simply put, the study of human nature. To celebrate Taylor's Nobel Prize, and in fact the whole field of behavioral economics, I asked Nidhi Gupta to join me on this show. Nidhi is a head of postgraduate programs at the Takshashila Institution in Bangalore and is a graduate of the London School of Economics and Political Science. One of her main research interests is behavioral economics. I caught up with her a couple of weeks ago. Nidhi, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Amit. Nidhi, we are both pretty much fellow behavioral economic geeks in the sense that, uh, you know, we've uh, studied the subject uh, and are both fans of Richard Taylor, who won the Nobel Prize Absolutely. recently. Absolutely, yes. And, and I'm very excited that, you know, finally, behavioral economics is getting its due and it's being recognized. And yeah, and, and of course, Daniel Kahneman won it so many years yes. back as well. And, you know, I often think that the term behavioral economics makes it sound more niche and specialized than it should be, that what it really is, is the study of human nature. And therefore, if you want to sort of understand the unseen effects of many things, understanding human nature is the key to that. And therefore, behavioral economics is the key to that. Right. In fact, you know, economics is finally about the incentives that people respond to or how they use the scarce resources. And if you're talking about people, you can't take the psychology of people away from it. Exactly. And that's what behavioral economics does, right? It brings that psychology back into the hard science that economics is kind of touted to be. And, and you actually teach behavioral economics in the Takshashila courses. And therefore, what I'd like to sort of <clears throat> do today is let's talk about some specific fundas of behavioral economics and uh, which have come from behavioral economics. Uh, our first example, in fact, being a term coined by Taylor himself. And... Uh, and then um, illustrate that with what is happening in the world around us, both in politics Perfect. and otherwise. Perfect. So um, I like to think of behavioral economics. I kind of separate heuristics and biases. Right. So heuristics are basically shortcuts that people use to make decisions. And heuristics kind of lead to biases. Right. So what I'd like to talk today is uh, biases. You know, we won't touch upon heuristics. So the first one that I'd like to start with is something known as endowment effect which basically uh, says that, you know, you value the things that you own much more than somebody else does. In fact, so much so that the moment you start owning something, you, you know, the value that you ascribe to it becomes higher than what you did just before. And this kind of, uh, you know, plays out really well. If you think of how uh, when a government is in opposition, how they are always critical of the policies that, the uh, government in power is, you know, uh, coming out with or they ha the, the policies that they have. But when they themselves come to power, they take a lot of these policies and continue with them. 
in fact you know you see now a lot of i think more around 19 policies uh, of the upa have been taken by bjp and renamed and now they are suddenly you know they've become very, these very nice policies that are going to change uh india and that are going to bring about prosperity so whether you look at um the jandhan scheme you know the pradhan mantri jandhan yojana there was a upa scheme which was called basic savings bank deposit account or you look at swachh bharat abhiyan you know the flagship scheme there was the uh, nirmal bharat abhiyan or a total sanitation campaign that the upa had there isn't a lot of change in what these policies the details of the policies but it's just that now because the government it's it's the bjp's policies or the nda's policies they suddenly you know are the right um they have all the right uh, elements to it or you look at um, indra avas yojana which was upa scheme and now it's called i think pradhan mantri avas yojana and it's funny that when you even go to pradhan mantri avas yojana's website actually some of the documents if you open them they actually still refer back to indra avas yojana <laughs> so it's funny that you know they say oh indra avas yojana was all crap and you know how it would not meet the goals while you yourselves are you know incorporating most of the things of that policy and, and you just argued, a different name and you argue that this is not just a question of political convenience but that humans are actually wired to value something more when they own it than they would if they did not own yeah, it yeah exactly i mean and, you you could find a lot of individual examples that you know for example if you're in a second hand market right you want to sell your car you would almost always think that your car you know should fetch you higher than what anybody else is willing to pay for it right that's a classic right example. and I, i like i was a professional poker player for a few years and i always use poker to give to illustrate examples of behavioral economics and the classic example of this in poker is that if someone tells me about a hand that he's playing and ask for my advice at some point i'll be able to say hey no man you should fold there it's not <laughs> right. plus we to keep playing but if i'm myself in the same situation you'd continue in- playing instinctively i want to continue yeah. playing i have to fight that impulse because now that it is my hand i value it more yeah. somehow magically and can't yeah. think objectively about it right so this is uh, one example that we can think of this is one of the biases um the other one that i uh, like to talk about um is the sunk cost fallacy So traditionally economics would tell you that if you've put in your time effort or money in a particular you know endeavor uh you should stop continuing further if you don't see benefits coming off it but as humans if we've invested time effort and money in a particular thing we actually keep adding on to it and you know there is this fallacy that now that i have put in some effort and money let let me just you know continue and see what comes of it for example if i've bought a movie ticket and then i hear a lot of people saying oh the movie was crap but now that i've bought the ticket let me just go and you know watch the movie anyways and it's a fallacy because the time you're spending is also worth something and you're wasting that time and you should just think of the price of the ticket as a sunk cost uh, absolutely and in fact it's not just individuals right let's see how it plays out at a public policy or the government level now we all know that air india uh, you know it was known for a long time that it's not making profits it does not even provide the uh, you know quality of service that's expected of an international airline but look at how long it survived look at how much money went into keeping air india and indian airlines alive even though we got so many budget airlines and really good quality international airlines you know in the market 
why has the government not done away with air india it's only now you know in the last two years that we are talking about privatization of air india or you know doing a mix of um like a ppp or actually just doing away with it it's it's only now that we are actually and i'm i'm stocks. skeptical to me it's just talk it's it's just uh, yeah, yeah let's yet to see what happens or for example think of uh, bailouts for public sector banks right right now that any public sector unit now that you've put in money you know you you kind of think oh let me just put in a little more and see maybe it will get better while the rational you should think that well that money is gone that effort is gone why put in more resources and why unnecessarily uh, you know enhance the costs the overall cost would we continue the recapitalization of banks is not something that you know is very old maybe 3 4 days ago is when we heard of recapitalization again of public sector and it's going to happen again and again and it's going to happen again and again uh, i can i can think of various examples of this from everyday life i mean the standard poker example is that you continue in a pot when you should fold because you're you're thinking oh i've already put in money wo waste ho jayega even though the rational decision at that moment in time the plus ev decision is to fold and there are trivial examples in real life like i may pack a tiffin from home but then my colleague say hey let's go to that nice japanese <laughs> restaurant and i right. really want to but i'm saying nahi yaar i made a sandwich in the morning and it's in my tiffin and it'll get you know and that's again you should treat that I sandwich i love how you understood cost. all of behavioral economics with poker in mind i just love it with poker in mind <laughs> and it actually and and fallacies like this is serious real life implications like i think a lot of bad marriages for example continue yeah. long past the point where they should because of the sunk cost fallacy because of some battered woman saying i've already spent 20 years with this guy how yeah. can i walk out now or maybe it will get better maybe if i put in more sure time. and you can rationalize fact, all that you know what taylor mentions mm. is that a lot of people in the us thought that um we should get out of vietnam war but right. it continued exactly and that that he at least says that you know that's an example of sunk cost fallacy and therefore you know these little fallacies which seem like you know fancy phrases in textbooks actually have real world humanitarian consequences and affect millions of people right uh, what's your next example of so the next example i uh, would like to talk about is called present bias in easy terms and hyperbolic discounting in very technical terms but that is something that all of us can relate to on individual level which is i value the now much higher than i value the future so i want a smaller sooner reward than a larger later reward i would rather have the pizza now than think about oh in the you know next 5 years i will have put on weight and i will have to exercise or i would rather break my new year resolution now than worry about how i will feel bad about it sometime later right and we all do it all the time procrastination laziness overeating indulging we do it all the time i feel right? like you're describing me ah <laughs> or myself <laughs> yeah and even not saving enough for example not saving you know, enough just... and uh, the at individual level you know you can tackle these things by committing to certain things so you say that okay i will enroll myself in this marathon and only if i have run so much am i going to indulge in a big dessert right a lot of people do that but where i see this playing out in public policies look at how the governments um, in the us for example have the 401k savings right. or in india where we have the employee provident fund schemes right it is a welfare scheme of course but somehow the governments have understood that if we don't uh, kind of force people or make people commit to their own future savings they would not do it 
so what they essentially do it they they say that no you must save this much and they also have your employer put in you know an equivalent amount and when you retire you have this big fund you know there for you and this is especially relevant for people who don't earn really well so you know the the epf is mandatory for people uh for companies with more than 20 people i think and for people who earn whose wages are below 21000 so maybe not for you know uh people who work in big private companies it's not mandatory although even these companies register for it but think of somebody who earns 15000 16000 for them building up this sum is really important and they might not do it because there are always priorities competing priorities in the here and now that you want to take care of so like like they say right eat drink and be merry for you may die tomorrow but you actually do not die tomorrow and you continue to live for a long time and it's better for you to save save up for that time. and if you can take a slight tangent this brings me to one of the criticisms many people have of thaler per se not the field right. which is of the term that i think he coined called libertarian paternalism mm-hmm. uh, and which the book nudges about which right. he co-wrote with cass sunstein mm-hmm. is almost that the government has a duty to nudge people in these directions yeah. to mitigate the effects of their yeah. biases and uh, you know my typical instinctive criticism to that is that while it is one thing to understand human nature it is another to then coerce people in different ways which you know the epf being um, uh, compulsory uh, for firms over a certain yeah. size is an example of that it is another to coerce people and take that agency away from them it's almost like saying hey you're too stupid to make your own decisions and uh, that that's the big criticism of the whole field of behavioral economics in fact if you think of a libertarian paternalism is an oxymoron right exactly you can't have libertarian and, and paternalism, paternalism in the same exactly and I mean, I, you can't I, speak of them in the same breath but that's what uh, thaler and sunstein at least how they feel it is that we do not take choices away from people when we are thinking of behavioral interventions they always are free to choose what they want it's just nudging them in a particular direction and and of course there are critiques and critiques of critiques and yeah. you know it, it it never ends yeah but, i mean but, yeah i just feel that if a guy is earning 15000 a month and he's saying no i don't want to give any of this away to a fund for when i'm 60 i need the money now that choice should really be up to him even if he recognized that this bias exists well you also can then think of if he, these people haven't saved enough then it's up to the government to then provide for them right we also say that hey well the government should provide healthcare but if the government says well you should pay for your health insurance so that when you are sick you know we will be able to fund for it that, that that's the example that at least nhs in the uk you know they they yeah. say that the burden of healthcare is increasingly becoming larger and if the people don't save up for their health or save up for their life insurance it is for the government to then spend money we also criticize the government then that oh you know where is the money for it uh, so i agree with you that you know it shouldn't be coerced upon people it should rather be voluntary provident fund but and i'm not one for epf but that there is a mechanism that is provided as a public policy that you know there are these commitment devices that are provided by the government itself and you can then draw this pension that i think is an example that we can look at but i mean i would certainly say that wherever one stands on this issue and one can agree to disagree it's an unfair criticism of behavioral economics because behavioral economics i the way i see it mm-hmm. is descriptive it's not prescriptive a lot of these specific prescriptions from which uh, you know 
um, coercion comes or agency is taken away from individuals is comes from individual economists but the field itself is just describing what human nature exactly, is like right and and that's what it tries to do that this is how humans behave look you know we yeah. tried to do this but this is what happened in reality and it just tries to describe the behavior and then maybe draw insights from it and then say next time they are behaving this way maybe we could you know yeah, just and and then that argument this. can happen but at least it's an informed argument yeah. for example this whole thing of default options right right where uh, and i like to give the example of uh, this give it up scheme where the lpg scheme uh, you know our prime minister went about saying everybody now is enrolled in the subsidy and now give it up right i wanted to say that you know i mean my prescription for it would have been that let nobody be subscribed to it say that it, you are entitled to it as a citizen you are entitled to it but your default position is that you are opted out and let only those people who really need it you know then opt, opt in. in and make the opt in really easy make it really easy for people to get this subsidy and again how you give subsidy remains mm. the same but now a lot of people are not giving it up just because that's the default position i'm just lazy to go to some yeah. place and you know Inertia, inertia is the most powerful yeah, force in human right? life. That's but, what present bias is all about. Yeah, but though I would also my my instinctive reaction there is that if you make it an opt-in thing, then you inevitably create rent-seeking. It's easy to say in theory that it should be easy to opt-in, but you'll create rent-seeking and you'll you you know everything else that follows with it. Yeah, that's true let, as well. Right? Let, I mean, let's move on to the next example. All right, so the next example I like to. Uh, talk about is about social norms and there are a lot of things in behavioral economics that revolve around this so you know there are things called herd behavior confirmation bias or social desirability bias which all essentially talk about how human behavior is set in a social context right you are influenced by the society by the people around you and uh, the decisions you take or the preferences you have are not just your preference maybe they are your preferences but yeah they are almost always influenced by the people around you so what how you behave is set in a social context and their people want to behave how their friends behave so you see uh you know echo chambers forming on social media that is i want to talk like my friend so i will you know adopt that line of opinion and it is similar set of people who get you know um who get caught in these echo chambers or look at confirmation bias where i have a certain viewpoint and i am always looking at or reading something with this thing of oh this this is in alignment with how, what i was thinking or didn't i say so you know you are yeah. always trying to you value that. the information which confirms your bias but you right. ignore everything else and that's just human behavior right i mean you would do that exactly but what this results in is um something known as private truths and public lies and you'd know of it you know so what we do is in private we might hold certain preferences but because of the social norms because of this social pressure that we have in public we might state our preferences very differently right so um for example timur kuran an economist talked about preference falsification that in public we tend to falsify our preferences now look at how after the new dispensation the bjp has come to power we suddenly have this surge in you know uh, anti muslim riots or the hindutva bigotry that we see suddenly you know there is just so much of it whether it's pelukan or it's aklag 
why was this not happening for the last 60 years because maybe the social context was such that this was taboo and maybe people wanted to talk about these things but they were not doing because of the social context and maybe the context right now has changed that you know some people have they are the norm entrepreneurs and they've set this norm they took that extra you know chance and said well we can talk about this and suddenly this whole bunch of people find that they can now express their hidden preferences i i didn't call him about this a couple of years ago when the whole trump wave was happening and mm-hmm. um uh, uh, and i think to a large extent social media empowering as it is and i think it's a net positive good enormously so but social media has enabled this in the sense that a lot of the phrase i use is closet bigots mm-hmm. there be a lot of people who yeah. are closet bigots but they don't express their bigotry because it seems impolite or unacceptable around them to do so but suddenly through social media they realize that there are actually a lot, a lot of, of people, people who like think them, like that right? they can and, come out there are a lot of them yeah, like them and and they feel empowered to come out and express their bigotry and uh, as more and as they start doing that it becomes a cascade in fact timur karan called this a preference cascade right. he, you know first i think the example he gave was of the soviet union where everybody yeah. assumed that all the individuals were for the soviet state but once people began to express otherwise it kind of cascaded yeah. and the downfall and it, of the soviet yeah. union actually seems very sudden but had been building yeah, that's up what he talks about right that social revolutions seem very sudden right. but they are always building up because there is right. these individual preferences that are hidden and then suddenly some people and which cast sunstein you know calls them norm entrepreneurs right. that these norm entrepreneurs take the chance and you know they say okay we'll speak the opposite and then suddenly they find a bandwagon you know and and, and social media enables and uh, magnifies this you've yeah, seen it happening absolutely right the polarization the, that social media yeah and you've seen this with uh, trump uh, and the alt right in the us yeah, you've the seen this the white supremacist rallies Modi i mean the, the the increasing number of rallies that we see yeah. so that's what i and, and the interesting thing is we don't even know if these are the real preferences right. now or right. other people again falsifying their preferences you know in their heart of hearts it's actually something else but because of this new uh, context the social context or the new language that people are speaking they start to speak this they ta- they they start to uh confirm to you know what is the current context and the interesting thing is that when you when we talk of preference falsification it's not just falsification for the sake of others you're also lying to yourself yes. very often yes. and for example you know a classic example of how even these preferences which seem to now be truly expressed might actually be falsified as you're saying yeah, is that if you sort of conflate criticism of the government uh with being anti-national and you know bring nationalism and modi together in the same sentence then people are afraid to for example during demonetization it was framed in such a way as we are attacking black money and if right. you speak up against it you're speaking against a nation and you would have had people expressing support for demonetization even though if they really thought about it they might not they feel might that not way. feel that way right and even and, though no, right now i mean i'll i'd like to think that you know if suddenly the dispensation actually came out and said oh yes this was a mistake it's never going to happen but mm-hmm. let's assume let's you know think that it happens i am sure a lot of those people who were you know uh, singing songs about how demonetization is going to uh, you know clean all the black money will actually then start again saying the same thing that the government says that oh yes it was a mistake so it's it's just about keeping in tune with the current you know and not context. just that uh, another bias a hindsight bias would yeah. kick in and they'd imagine that hey we thought it was uh, crap all along yeah right uh, i mean didn't i say that? so yeah, yeah exactly i was right when i said that and it happens all the time i mean 
let's not blame others you and i would right. do it as well right i mean everybody would say, do it i mean yeah. we are not standing on a pedestal and saying oh you humans are like yeah. that we are also like this we yeah. suffer from it but what's important about behavioral economics is that it then helps you understand these biases within yourself and, and within the context you operate exactly, right? yourselves and, and, and the policies that you have you know what the, your government does and and the quality of that self reflection can help you either live a happier life or be more aware of your unending unhappiness uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's move on to the next example so the next example uh, i'd like to talk about is uh, it's called peak end rule what that necessarily says is that the sum total of how a person remembers an experience is defined by how they felt at the peak of it and at the end of it people tend to ignore the rest so if i were to ask you hey amit uh, how was the bangalore lit fest you would possibly remember the highlight of it and the you know if you attended the last few sessions though you would forget the rest and uh, the example a rather controversial one that you know i'd give you is that think of indira gandhi's rule if you would ask most people you know how was her rule they would talk of emergency which defined the peak of her rule and they would talk of you know how she was assassinated so her becoming a martyr and that's how we think of as her rule so did, whereas there was a lot more to it by the way she ruled for a long time yeah. right and I, i'm not taking sides of whether she was good or not so they remember the peak of it and think of her as an authoritarian despot and they remember the end of it and they think of her as a martyr who died for the nation absolutely and uh, both of those may have an element of truth though i think the former has far more truth I <laughs> would agree actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's also how I mean so we we tend to forget that there would have been other elements of it and most of it actually in her case was not that great but that's how we remember most of the things. And th- that's how we look back on our own lives and which is why you know memory is selective what we remember is not really what happened. Yeah. And, so we and, are fabricating a lot of things in between what we actually remember is the peak. and right. the end most of the times so the rest of it is we are just filling it up right we are fabricating it right so and we've reached the end of the podcast and at this point i will ask my listeners to reflect on what you remember of this podcast chances are it will be the peak <laughs> and the end nidhi thank you so much for coming on the thank show thank you so much amit it was a pleasure if you enjoyed the show you can follow nidhi on twitter at nidhi1902 you can follow me at amit verma a m i t v a r m a And if you want to hear earlier episodes of the scene and the unseen please hop on over to sceneunseen.in Thank you for listening If you enjoyed listening to the scene and the unseen check out another show by IVM podcast Simplified which is hosted by my good friends Naren Chuck and Shriket You can download it on any podcasting network Excuse me, भैया. Excuse me. बोले मैडम. Menu में क्या है? Menu में seen and seen है. Podcast है. On course है. Cyrus है. है. Made in India. Rediscovery project. Empowering series. Sex Wax है. IBM likes है. Simplified है. Keeping it queer है. Things and destinations है. My neighbor Zuckerberg है. और the fan garage है. आपको क्या चाहिए? Uh, एक बार repeat कर देंगे क्या? Repeat repeat नहीं करता हम. आप जाओ ibmpodcast. dot com पे और सुनो ये सब. या फिर download करो उनका app. सब आपके उंगलियों पे.